Can you believe it? It's finally here. It's the most wonderful time of the year, unless you get stressed out about how to pay for it. Savewithconrad.com can help you make this the best Christmas ever. You won't make a house payment for the next two months. That's right. Skip your next two house payments and use all that cash for your extra holiday expenses. And come next year, you're going to have a lower monthly payment. Don't put Christmas on a credit card. Pay your credit card debt off at Savewithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Savewithconrad.com. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff. Eric, what's going on, man? How are you? I am well, my friend. How about you? Man, better than I deserve. Excited to be with you today because we're going to be doing something a little different. We're going to be talking about your brand new book, Grateful, but we're not just going to be talking about it, you and I. We're going to be talking about it with the fellow who wrote the book, and he wrote what you and I consider to be one of the best books ever in professional wrestling. We call it the Nitro Book. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome a very special guest to the program, Mr. Guy Evans. Guy, how are you, man? I'm doing great, guys. Really great to uh, be back on the podcast with you. Thanks for the invite. Man, we're excited to be here with you, too. I uh, I just loved the book. I had a chance to uh, crack it open last week for the very first time. Read it in one sitting. I uh, couldn't put it down. I thought you guys did a great job. I think Eric was totally honest and transparent and vulnerable in a way that most figures that are public figures or in wrestling certainly aren't. And uh, it really stood out to me amongst a pile of other quote unquote wrestling books. This was a lot more than that. I'm sure you agree guy. I think so. I think, you know, what Eric and I, uh, attempted to do when we first started working on the book, our goal really was to produce something that was really unique as compared to all the other books in the, in the wrestling category, if you like. And we thought very hard about that and, and considered for a long time, um, how, how we would be able to pull that off. Um, and I think it's safe to say when you read the the grateful book in its entirety um, today and you look at the the story that we're telling, it's very, very different from a lot of other wrestling autobiographies out there. Of course, we're focusing on a specific point in time in, in Eric's life, about 15 years or so. And we're going through all of the um, sort of major beats that happened within that time, um, both in and outside of the wrestling business. So if you're looking for Eric to talk about you know, TNA and going back to the WWE and um, even his his sort of time in, in AEW and that kind of thing. You're going to find that in the book. But I think all of that is encapsulated within, you know, a broader story that we're telling, which is really how Eric arrived at this place in his life um, at this at this stage of the game, um, where I think he has a very interesting approach to life and philosophy that I thought would be really um, quite interesting for the readers as well. So um, so absolutely. I would like to think that, you know, when you look at the other wrestling autobiographies out there and, and memoirs out there, this one definitely stands out. Eric, you know, you, uh, you and I really heaped praise on the nitro book. I know when guy was first putting the book out, uh, and, and by the way, it's incredible. It's called nitro, the incredible rise and inevitable collapse of Ted Turner's WCW. It came out, gosh, more than four years ago now. Uh, but you and I saw, Hey, this could be, uh, an interesting product to promote on our podcast. And then when we actually got the book, we thought, or I thought, damn, this is one of the most in-depth looks at WCW ever. Uh, talk to me a little bit, Eric, about what you liked about the nitro book and why you thought it stood out amongst all the other books. One word research, you know, I mean, guy did an incredible job 
and put in a lot of time and work and expense getting interviews with key individuals in Turner management, not just WCW, but Turner management that really had some of the greatest impact on WCW and whether or not it was going to remain part of Turner Broadcasting. And you heard, we heard, readers read in that book directly from people who were <clears throat> instrumental in charting the course of WCW that were way above me. Some of them I never even really met. I knew who they were, but they were outside of my you know day-to-day -day sphere, so to speak. So I, I just the, the level of research is what impressed me the most and in, in the integrity in in the book and in 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 covering WCW because so many people who have covered it in the past, whether it's you know wrestling news sites or dirt sheets, whatever you feel comfortable calling them, um, it's all second hand, third hand information at best, and more often than not just a narrative that supports a personal opinion or agenda. And Guy's book was exactly the opposite of that. It was, I mean, the research, and again, I, I have a little bit of an idea of how much effort and time goes into that. And I think, Guy, correct me if I'm wrong, but you had over 120 interviews in there. That's right. And to, to really get an honest interview and not just report third-hand information about what you heard someone else say, somebody said. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of work, man. It's in its commitment and integrity. And that's what impressed me the most. And I'm not going to lie. There was stuff in that book that I was going, oh, damn, really? Did I do that? Oh, <laughs> but it was true. So, you know, it, it is what it is. There were some things in there that I, you know, I read some of the interviews and I went, well, it's not exactly, but you know, that happens. It's human nature. It's not anybody with an agenda or, or, or uh, out to distort anything. It's just human nature. After 20 years, people remember things a little differently, including me, by the way, as you know, Conrad. <laughs> you have to sit with me two and a half hours every week, you know. <laughs> it's, uh, it's something I've grown to love. Um, <laughs> Looking for a great Mother's Day or Father's Day gift idea? I was, and I found it at Paint Your Life. With Paint Your Life, you'll get a hand-painted portrait created to fit almost any budget, and it's a great gift idea for your mother, your father, or both. You say Paint Your Life transforms your photos into a one-of-a-kind, beautiful hand-painted portrait created by professional artists. You upload anything you can imagine. You can even combine photos. You'll pick the artist, the medium. You can even customize the frame, and you can receive your painting in as little as two weeks. You can give the most meaningful gift you've ever given at PaintYourLife.com, and there's no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money's refunded, guaranteed. And right now is a limited time offer. Get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off and free shipping. To get this special offer, just text the word WEEKS to 87204. That's WEEKS to 87204. Text WEEKS to 87204. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Message and data rates may apply. See paintyourlife.com slash terms for details. Eric, you wrote a book once upon a time and, and most folks in wrestling write a book every now and again, you'll get somebody like Chris Jericho or Mick Foley or Jr. And they'll write a few books, but most of the time writing a book is sort of a one-off for wrestling personalities. Controversy creates cash. I think came out like 15 years ago. Uh, mm -hmm. did you ever have any aspirations of writing a second book or being 
a part of a second book before you read the nitro book, or did you think that was a one and done thing for you too, Eric? No, I had no, no interest aspirations. I didn't think I had a book in me. I didn't think there was anything to talk about, which is really funny because I felt the same way when I was approached to write controversy creates cash. When I was first approached with that, I was like, Oh, I don't know, man. What, what do we have? I don't have anything to talk about that people already haven't heard. What are we going to talk about? And again, talking with the writer, um, he had a different take. I went, okay, well, let's give it a try. And it turned out to be pretty good. And the same thing kind of happened with Guy. You know, when when Guy and I first started talking, whatever it was, a little over a year ago, a year ago, whatever, I was like, gee, I don't know, Guy. What? I do a podcast every week for two, two and a half <laughs> hours a week. What have I got to say that hasn't been said? Right. And I, I think it was, you know, Guy listening to the podcast and kind of hearing a, a theme or a pattern. If I remember, Guy, you can probably speak to that much better than I can, but guy had an idea for a different take based on some of the things that he's heard us, you and I Conrad talking about. So guy, let me ask you, you know, you, uh, you probably didn't know what to expect when you dove knee deep into this wrestling space, the mm-hmm. nitro book, uh, what was your experience like launching that book? Um, you know, how was it received? Was it received the way you thought or your hopes? Did it meet your expectations? Just talk to me about once you released your baby into the world. I mean, I can't imagine how many hundreds of hours you had in that book and it was just you and maybe, you know, a close circle of friends or what have you, but when you finally release it and now it's up to them, like what, what's everybody think? What's the reaction going to be? What's the response? What was that like for you? Well, I think it's safe to say that it far surpassed any expectations that I ever could have had. Um, you know, we were just talking off air before we got on here that really what I thought was going to happen was maybe a small handful of people would check out the book. It would kind of make a buzz for a few weeks and that would be the end of it. And really as the weeks and months went on, it just took on a life of its own and it really just snowballed into becoming this um, really influential book that so many people, so many people in wrestling, including yourselves um, talked about in such, such a positive way Um, It's quite interesting because, you know, really when I embarked on that particular project, it was my intention to only write one book in, in the wrestling space. It was just something that I was interested in, right? I was a fan in the mid to late nineties, even growing up in the UK, like many of us on the other side of the pond, so to speak, you know, wrestling made a huge impact on us as well. I had read some of the other accounts of the WCW story and watched the the, the documentaries like everyone else, um, found them all to be, you know, entertaining and you can definitely take a lot away from all of those accounts. But I, as someone who followed it very closely back then, I really felt like something was missing. And I, I found it quite curious that we never got to hear from any of these shadowy figures that were often discussed in those pieces of work, whether they be a Jamie Kellner or a Harvey Schiller or, or people of, of that nature. Um, so I was kind of waiting for someone to come along and, and write the book that really I wanted to read. And finally, around 2015 or so, I just decided, you know what, if no one else is going to do it, I'm going to do it. Little did I know that was going to then encompass, you know, three and a half years of research. And as Eric talked about, you know, speaking to over 120 people and, you know, weaving in so many primary sources and and company memos and documentation and financial statements and getting my hands on all of that. So it really became a huge project. And obviously the end result was a 600 page book. Um, but to answer your question, once it was put out again, I thought, all right, I'm going to get some, you know, one or two nice emails. I'm going to get some good feedback for a few weeks and then I'll 
move on to something else. And, um, you know, what really sparked my interest in working with Eric, I think, was, first of all, after the book came out, if you remember, of course you do, Conrad, the first uh, StarCast event, you know, I had the chance to um, meet with Eric in Chicago. And it was it was a such a positive interaction. You know, Eric came up to me and had so many nice things to say about the book. And then, of course, we did the panel in Las Vegas. And that was another great experience. And I'm not sure if you remember, Eric, but you and I spoke afterwards. And I kind of asked you just to kind of um, dip my toe in the, in the in the water, so to speak, you know, if you had thought about writing another book. Um, because at that point, I guess it had been 12 or 13 years since your first book came out. And I thought there was a lot of ground that could be covered there. And you kind of said, yeah, that's that's interesting. You know, maybe we'll we'll talk about that again in the future. Well, you know, a few weeks after that, like everyone else, I was reading the news that Eric was going to WWE to work as an executive. So I kind of thought, all right, well, that that ship has sailed, unfortunately. So, you know, I'll move on to something else. Um, but it wasn't until about a year and a half ago that Eric and I, you know, reconnected and started talking about it seriously. And, um, you know, I'm very proud of, of what we were able to to come up with. And I would like to think it's uh, in a way kind of a, a spiritual successor in a, in a way both to eric's book and also to my first book as well i think if people loved controversy creates cash people love the nitro book then you're really gonna love this book as well so eric how does this come to be does does guy reach out to you do you reach out to guy i mean is he twisting your arm trying to convince you or how's the process be where you guys decide okay we're gonna do it let's move forward no i think guy reached out to me if i remember correctly okay uh, mm -hmm. i've got that yep. you know thing going on but um yeah guy reached out to me and and by this point you know guy and i had you know starcast we run ran across each other a couple of times did the panel as guy talked about we communicated on the phone and emails and texts a few times so there was already a relationship there we were friends already so it wasn't a formal type, type of uh inquiry mm -hmm. uh but again guy brought it up and, and my first reaction is well what you know, what what are we going to talk about and we just started, guy started laying it out, his, his idea. And I thought, well, this, this could be fun. You know, I was going through a lot in, 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 during that period and have been going through a lot for a few years leading up to it. And some of it was just kind of like repositioning my own way of looking at the world and kind of learning from mistakes and learning from success and more than anything, just learning how to be open and honest about things that I typically would not be that open about. Um, but I thought that, that that's probably a healthy thing at this stage of my life. And, and I just wanted to do it. I just wanted to get it all out there. You know, I've, I've been on the receiving end of 30 years of other people's bullshit Yeah, and listening to what other people have to say about me or what I did or what I didn't do and, and a fair amount of criticism. I've, you know, I've gotten pretty hardened to all of that. It doesn't like keep me up at night or, you know, bring tears to my eyes or anything like that. I don't throw furniture or anything, but still, you just get a little tired of it. And it's like, wow, I mean, the podcast has given me a great platform and has taught me that there's value in being open and honest about things and being able to laugh at your own stuff, you know, and, 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 and tear it up, but do it in a, in a positive way. And the book was a, a further opportunity to do it in a more granular kind of way. Well, I tell you, this time of year, everybody starts to uh, notice that the Christmas music, the holiday music is here. And that means, well, it's time to talk about shaving your balls. 
It's never too early to start thinking about gifts, whether it's for a friend or the friends in your pants. You can make this a season to be jolly with Manscaped. Do your little drummer boy a favor. Use the lawnmower 4.0 to avoid another silent night in the bedroom. Then add in Manscaped's top of the line shower products and you'll have people thinking all I want for Christmas is you. Santa cares about his sack and you should too. I'm talking to you, Guy Evans. Look nice when you're ready to get naughty by going to manscaped.com and using the promo code 83 weeks for free shipping and 20% off. Now the Manscaped Platinum Package 4.0 is a one-stop shop for the man who deserves it all. It has everything needed to help you deck the halls from your face to your balls. Just in time for mistletoe season. Now this performance package plus, it might actually be, in my opinion, the best offer we've ever had for Manscaped. Check this out. We got the ultra premium body wash. We got the two-in-one shampoo. We got the two-in-one shampoo and conditioner. And we got the ultra premium deodorant. It's the best way to be smelling fresh from your Santa hat down to that old candy cane. Speaking of your candy cane, and I know this is Guy Evans' favorite part, the lawnmower 4.0. That's right. Guy trims his sack, and you should too. We got the weed whacker, nose and ear hair trimmer, the proprietary skin theft technology. It's going to protect those little delicate holes. It's also waterproof. So there'll be no issue when you're clearing that snow out of your driveway. You got a 4,000K LED light on this bastard. It's going to light you up like Rudolph. Now that you've groomed your candy cane, you don't want to be smelling like a, like a reindeer. So you need some shower gear. We got sulfate free, vegan. We got everything you need here. It doesn't just stop at the shower. They got ball deodorant, the crop preserver. It got Tony Schiavone back on TV. They got the crop reviver ball toner. And that's how this book grateful really came together. Eric used that toner. His balls were no longer in the toilet water. He was good to go. He was ready for the the real story. That's the real story. You heard it directly from guy. Uh, the platinum package 4.0 sitting under the tree is guaranteed to put everyone in the holiday spirit. Oh, and how about the new body buffer? Perfect stocking stuffer. It's an incredible body scrubber. It's uh, going to help you exfoliate. And it's a lot cleaner than that dirty ass loofah you got in your shower. So get 20% off and free shipping with the promo code 83 weeks at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. And be sure to use the code 83 weeks manscaped. Let your jingle balls ready for the holidays. Hey, uh, guy, when you're interviewing some of these old Turner executives, you ever talk to them about how they shave their balls and their ball shaving routine or did that not even come up? You know, it's funny you mentioned that comrade. That's typically my first question to break the ice. Sure. And usually in doing the interview sessions for grateful, that's kind of how Eric and I would start as well. The only problem with that is sometimes that would kind of lead us down a, a rabbit hole and we wouldn't even get to talking about what we needed to cover for the book. So it's funny you mentioned that that's kind of a tool in my toolbox, so to speak. So to speak. I like that. Well, uh, stay tuned. Eric might do a third book and it'll be about his silky smooth sack. Oh, that's, that's already in production. Oh, glad to hear it. You know, this is, first of all, these manscape reads are like the highlight of my week. It says a lot about my weeks lately. <laughs> I think it's time that I reevaluate my life just, just a bit. But secondly, you know, people are used to hearing Conrad and I chop it up and do a bunch of silly stuff. And we have fun with these reads and, all that. But Guy brings such a level of sophistication, first and foremost with that British accent. It just elevates the class level of this podcast. And then, you know. And and then we drop right into 
balls. I know. So <laughs> I, I'm feeling quite at home now. It was a, it was a little <laughs> stiff. I thought we were doing a PBS special there for a minute, but now I'm feeling right at home. Nothing like talking about grooming your sack to really break the break the ice. And we hope that uh that you guys did that this past Thanksgiving. Uh let's let's talk about how we got into the book and and what the vision was, guy, because man, the Nitro book certainly talked about the business of the wrestling business, which is what we're all about here on 83 weeks. So it's probably no surprise that Eric and I really love the book. It wasn't just talking about matches, storylines, and certainly some of that stuff of Beck's business. So it'll be touched on, but it really was about the way this business grew and then the way it collapsed. But when you now have a different approach and you're going to talk about a totally different subject, and it's almost more of a, a personality profile, does that mm -hmm. change your approach or how is your approach different from the nitro book to grateful? It does change the approach for sure. I think with this book, what Eric and I both had a really firm sense about was the destination. We basically knew where the book was going to end, which is reflective of Eric's true feelings today, something that he's talked about on this podcast and in many other forums on, on numerous occasions, right? It's, it's, it's very authentic when he talks about the place that he's arrived at in his life today. So we knew that we wanted to get there. The question really was, um, how do we tell the story in such a way where, um, you know, we're, we're making things interesting for the reader, where we're taking them through the various highs and lows, you know, that Eric has experienced over the course of, of 15 years. Um, and I think if you look at how the book begins, I'm not sure if anyone has picked up on this yet, but it's kind of a nod to Eric's first book. If you look at how that book begins and how grateful begins, and that was, that was intentional. That was kind of a callback in a way to controversy creates cash. And then what was really exciting for me was figuring out, okay, you know, we know now we figured out the beginning. Now we figured out the ending. We know where we're going here. Um, how do we fit in or, or fill in all of the, the beats in between? And in order to do that successfully, you need someone who's going to be honest. You need someone who's going to be open. You need someone who may have a day when they speak to you on the phone and, you know, they go on a, a rant or two, but two yeah. or three, two or three, two or three weeks later, when you show them a draft of what they said, you know, they don't turn around and say, no, I was in a bad mood that day. Or actually I, that, that, are, those are not my true feelings. You know, what was great about Eric was, um, whatever it was that we covered, whatever it was that he said we faithfully stuck to that because I think his belief as was mine was, you know, that, that those were his true feelings, you know, that I don't want to, um, I don't want to paint the picture here. And I know, you know, this Conrad and Eric does as well, obviously that this is, you know, 270 pages of Kumbaya and Eric is just talking about how wonderful everything is. And he never has a bad day and nothing bad has ever happened in the last 15 years. That's not the case at all. You know, I think as Eric has alluded to on this podcast and in other places, you know, there have been just like in anyone else's life, some real trying times. Um, what makes this book different, I think, is the level of honesty. Um, and, you know, I know that Eric, in my time knowing you, you wouldn't have it any other way anyway. Uh, I don't think you would want to do a, a book that's just nothing but bullshit. Um, but I think readers may be surprised at just how challenging some of those times were. And by the time we get to the end of the book, uh, yes, you know, spoiler alert, we end on a positive note and in a very um, sort of happy and philosophical note. Um, but I think readers are really going to get a huge appreciation of what Eric has been through. And, and as a result, maybe what they can learn from that as well. 
Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. Well said. I mean, I think you really uh, summed it up perfectly, but it is different, Eric. You know, you've uh, you've been a public person for a long time, but you were really playing a character most of the time. And a lot of that changed with this podcast because you started to just be Eric. And you go back and you listen to some of our early shows and Maybe you weren't totally comfortable just being Eric yet, but in time you became really comfortable being Eric. And a lot of our listeners, especially the family over at adfreeshows.com, they feel like they know, like, and trust Eric. But was it a challenge for you to sort of let people in? Because yes, we've seen you in on TV and in magazines and et cetera, et cetera. But that was always a character. You were you were putting on a persona and then you'd get backstage or maybe you'd finish your travels and get home and you'd take that persona off and put it on the shelf until it was time to put it on again. Was this, how big of a challenge was this for you to get comfortable with doing a book at, like this? That's really a, almost a tell all and spilling your guts or maybe was this podcast almost like the appetizer that warmed you up for that process. The podcast definitely warmed me up. And I, we talk about that in the book <clears throat> and Conrad, you and I have talked about this a lot. How grateful, not a shameless plug, but just true. I am for the podcast because again, you know, Conrad, when I first came to your house and sat down with you and, and drank copious amounts of beer and ended up getting grilled for two or three hours uh, <laughs> by you and, and your buddies, you know, th that was the kind of thing that I had been used to for 30 years. Right. And I, my default mechanism in situations like that was to, do what I've always done since I was a kid is throw my hands up, tuck my chin and start swinging back. That's pretty much been my life up until the last five, six, seven years. Um, and the podcast kind of revealed to me how stupid that was to carry around that much angst and defensiveness and just baggage It's just baggage. Right. And the podcast kind of loosened me up to it. It made me realize that just being open and honest about things um, actually makes it way better and more fun to talk about. I can appreciate the highs much more when I'm willing to get down in the mud and talk about the lows. The contrast in life is what I think makes it interesting. And it, I'm not going to lie. I haven't been able to sit down and read the book yet. I, I, you know, as we're putting it all together and I would get, you know, the 13th chapter and then I'd two days later, I'd get the first chapter and then I'd get the fifth chapter. And that's just, you know, the, the way the process worked. And, you know, each one of those chapters, obviously, you know, right at the very end here, we want to, you know, polish it up and make sure it's exactly the way we want it. And, you know, spell check and all the other stuff that we do. There's still a little bit of me that is like, you got, should I have said all that? Should I have, you know, pulled my pants down and, you know, let everybody take a look or, or not, you know, I, uh, I'm grateful that you did. 
uh, pardon the pun, because I really enjoyed the book and I really enjoy when people have had success in their life. And, you know, everybody knows that uh, in order to have some successes, you got to have some failures along the way. But it feels like a lot of times, especially in wrestling, you know, uh, basically every wrestling promo is I'm the greatest of all time and I've never done anything wrong and you can't hold a candle to me. And that's sort of the nature of what it is. So to see somebody say, well, this went well, and well, that was not that good. Uh, oh, I wish I had that to do over again. And I think that adds a lot of context and it is something that we're starting to see more and more of, uh, but a lot of the folks who, um, have stubbed their toe and, and, and had some misses in life, they want to keep that really private. They don't want to talk about it. And I think guy, and I'm pretty sure you agree when people are able to just be honest and be vulnerable and let their true feelings out there and, and be their real selves. Boy, that's the content that we gravitate to. And it's probably exactly what you're looking for in a book, right? Exactly. I think some of the most revealing and insightful moments of the book is when Eric puts his hand up and says, yeah, we, we tried this and it didn't work. And here's why. And, you know, he even used the phrase on one or two occasions, you know, I failed and here's why I failed. And if you sit back and you think about that, that's quite rare. You don't find a lot of public figures who are willing to say that. And I'll speak for myself here, but I'm sure this is something that a majority of the listeners will agree with as well. The effect of that is it makes you actually have more respect for that person, right? We've all read, we've all, we've all read books in the past um, you know, whether they be wrestling autobiographies or, or people in the world of sports, entertainment, et cetera, which are just three or 400 pages of, you know, I'm awesome. My life's great. I've never made any mistakes. Um, once you get to about page 15 of that, you say, okay, I'm going to put this on eBay and I'll, I'll pass this on to someone else. Right. Because I don't think, first of all, there's no arc there, right? If, if everything is just, you know, if we just covered this book in such a way where we said 15 years has been nothing but positivity and awesomeness um how do you tell a story right without any sort of valleys to go along with the peaks so i, I think it's difficult to write any book if that's your approach um but also people have an inherent sense uh, uh you know they can detect bullshit essentially even when it's on the page so um again you know when you think about what it was that led this book um you know coming together in the first place i think a lot of it was you know eric communicating to me after the nitro book was released exactly what he said at the beginning of this podcast which was you know some of the stuff in that book was pretty difficult for me to read but you know what you know you did the work and and essentially that's what happened and i thought quite a lot actually about if i was in his shoes would i have a similar take right if i was in this very high profile position for a number of years in this company that made a, an impact on millions of people, not just in the US, but worldwide. And someone came along who was an outsider who had ostensibly no connection to the company whatsoever. And they wrote a book about something I was heavily involved in. And sections of that book were very critical, even though, you know, those comments are c coming from third parties, but you get the point. You know, I, I thought quite a lot about would I be able to detach myself from that and say, even though that's difficult to read, you know, kudos to that person because they told the the correct story. I would like to think that I would have that perspective, but I'm not so sure. I think it's human nature in that situation, you know, to basically say, oh, it's it's all it's all bullshit. You know, don't don't believe a word of what that person wrote. So Eric used the word integrity before. I think there's a, a heck of a lot of integrity in that. And and that really carried over to this this book as well. You know, Eric talks about things 
both in and outside of the wrestling business that, that didn't always go his way. You know, and I I don't think he reflexively blames someone else or some external factors in many cases for why those things happened. You know, there are plenty of times he sa- he says, you know, I take responsibility for that. But here's what I learned from that, and here's what other people can learn as well. So it, it's really kind of a roller coaster ride, really, from chapter one to chapter twenty one. And I really think people are going to be surprised at the depth that Eric goes into and just how introspective he is. I know there's some people listening to to this that might say, and rightfully so in some respects, well, Eric does a three-hour podcast essentially every week with Conrad. What else could there be to say? Well, I think a lot of people were saying that prior to the Nitro book coming out. You know, If you think back to 2018, everyone was saying this story has been covered to death. This horse is, is, is beyond being you know beaten to a bloody pulp at this point. What possibly could you extract from this story that hasn't already been said? And I think people were surprised at how much hadn't been revealed and how much, you know, the book brought to light. And the same is is the case here. Um, you know, I looked at it as a challenge to say, okay, you know, on the surface, it may look as though everything has been covered when it comes to this period in Eric's life. But I know if, you know, if if I can get him on the phone and ask the right questions and we can spend enough time on this, I think we've got a good chance of him talking about some things that he's never talked about before. And I think you'll see that in the very early chapters of the book, there's some stories that Eric goes into, which, uh, you know, he's never publicly shared before. And, uh, and again, all of that amounts to, in my opinion, a very, very unique book. I want to mention the name of the book is grateful. It's available on Kindle. You can also pick it up as a paperback or a hardcover. Uh, I got mine on Amazon. I'm sure you can yours as well. As we're speaking, it is the number one new release. So go check it out over on Amazon. Tons and tons of five-star ratings. Uh, people seem to really love this book, Eric. And, you know, we've talked a lot about the book from an outsider perspective, but uh, without spoiling too much, I do feel like we should give some nuggets here or there. What are some things that you talk about in this book that you've never really talked about publicly before? Well, there's quite a bit, actually. And it's not so much that I didn't talk about it before. So I, I don't think I've ever gone into as much detail, you know, and that's one of the... You know, it's on a podcast, we've got ad reads, you know, we've got a two-hour window we try to hit. Sometimes we go a little bit over. We've got a lot of ground to cover. We've got subject matter that we're identified that we wanted to delve into. So it's sometimes a little difficult to go into too much detail, particularly about things that are kind of off topic for, the, for, the, for a particular episode. But in the interview process that we went through, it, you know, I don't know. We stayed on the phone sometimes for a half hour. We stayed on the phone sometimes for an hour. We stayed on the phone sometimes for longer, talking about one period of time or one subject necessarily. And it give, gave me the ability to just share more and go into more detail. And, of course, Guy was able to, as a, as a great writer, kind of condense and structure that so that it's palpable <laughs> or palatable, I should say, palatable for the for the reader. Um, you know, I talked about, you know, going into bankruptcy, you know, and facing, and this is something I still, you know, I'm this is the other thing I want people to know. You know, it's not like I got a handle on this shit at all. I think a much better handle than I used to, for sure. Um, but I'm still you know, dealing with the fact that I'm 68 years old and I'm in the process of reinventing myself once again. And I used to take pride in that. 
You know, one of the things that I'd always laugh about whenever the chips were down or Lori and I, when we first, you know, started dating and we were young in our twenties and, you know, I was being an entrepreneur, you know, my attention, I have the attention span of a fruit fly sometimes. And it's like, Oh, this is going to be fun. I'm going to go do this. No, that was fun. But this looks like more fun or more interesting or whatever. Um, but it, that never bothered me. I was always kind of proud of my ability to adapt. I could adapt to a challenge. I could adapt to a, an opportunity. I could adapt to a new environment. And I always thought that was like one of my greatest strengths because I've never thought of myself as the smartest person that I've ever had a chance to meet or the most, um, or the greatest salesperson or, or the most talented creatively or any other way. But I have always had a lot of confidence in my ability to adapt and overcome. And particularly over the last six, seven years, really since controversy creates cash, a lot of things have changed in my life. At a time in my life, if these things, same things would have happened when I was in my 20s and 30s, I would have been laughing about it. Great. That one's over. New chapter. Here we go. Strap in. It's going to be fun. But you get to a point, I got to a point in my life where the clock is ticking. And I don't mean to sound like, you know, I'm in great health. I'm probably in better shape now than I was 20 years ago, to be honest, because I pay more attention to it now. But I'm, you know, I'm at a point now where, you know, that clock is ticking in, in terms of what I want to accomplish and in terms of what I want to leave behind for my kids and my now grandson, Waylon James. Hey, Waylon, how are you, buddy? Um, he can't, he doesn't listen to the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but that, that discussion and that journey that portion of this journey, because it's a portion, it's not the whole book by any stretch. It's just a chapter, part of a chapter. But that was a little tough. And that was the kind of thing that while maybe I've touched on it in interviews, lightly mentioned it, because it's out there, by the way, when you file, you know, I filed for chapter 11, which is a business bankruptcy. And there were business decisions that led to that and market conditions that changed. And my own willingness to take risks that quite honestly I should have taken. But you know, when you're born with this instinct or this blessing slash curse that makes you think you can do anything, if you just decide you want to do it, no, it it sometimes compels me to make choices that I probably shouldn't have made. Or I probably probably should have checked with a financial advisor or mentor of some sort. I said, here's the opportunity. Here's my situation. What would you do? But I didn't do that. I just went, oh, hell yeah. Write a check. I'll do that. And it always worked for me throughout my whole life. I've always been able to, and I'm, I'm, I'm stealing a phrase here from um, Dave Ramsey, but I've always been able to out-earn my stupidity, my ability to make money. I've never had, a, I've never, ever in my life not been able to make a lot of money. And then you wake up one day and you're in your sixties and you have to go out and make a lot more money. And you realize that those opportunities aren't the same anymore. I'm not 30. I'm not 40, not even 50 anymore. And that, that changes things that those dynamics are new to me. And the feelings that come with it are new to me. And we go into 
quite a bit of discussion about that. Well, here's some feelings that can be new to you. I'm talking about winter being here. And for me, that means struggling to find the right temperature when I sleep. I recently found a way to stay at the perfect temperature all night long. And I learned that, um, traditional bed sheets can harbor more bacteria than a toilet seat. I didn't know that. Also, I didn't want to know that. I know that now Conrad, (laughs) and I'm sorry that I do. PMI. Think about all the 365 nights a year times 67 and a half freaking years. That's a lot of toilet seats, Buckerfather. It is. <laughs> and it can lead to acne, allergies, stuffy noses. It's just gross. Well, Miracle Brand to the rescue. They offer a whole line of self-cleaning, eco-friendly bedding like sheets, pillowcases, and comforters that prevent 99% of bacteria and require three times less laundry. Check that out. Three times less laundry. Now, in case you weren't aware, these silver infused fabrics were originally developed by NASA. So miracle brand sheets are now thermoregulating, going to keep you at the perfect temperature, but because they're silver infused with natural silver, going to prevent 99.9% of bacterial growth, leaving them to stay cleaner and fresher three times longer than other sheets. No more gross odors. Miracle sheets are luxuriously comfortable and without the high price tags of other luxury brands. And Miracle Sheets are the perfect gift for your spouse, your friends, your family. Man, who doesn't want better sleep and luxurious-feeling bed sheets? And since these come with three free towels, it's like two gifts in one, just in time for the holidays. So stop sleeping on bacteria. Clean sheets mean less bacteria to clog your pores and fewer breakouts and other skin problems. So try Miracle.com slash 83 weeks to get it today or gift it to someone special this holiday season. We've got a special deal for our listeners. Save over 40%. And be sure to use our promo code 83 weeks at checkout to save even more and get three free towels. And Miracle is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30 day money back guarantee. So, man, if you're not 100% satisfied, you get a full refund. So, upgrade your sleep with Miracle Brand. Go to trymiracle.com slash 83 weeks. Use the code 83 weeks to receive your three piece towel set and save over 40% off. One more time, that's trymiracle.com slash 83 weeks to treat yourself, a friend, or a loved one this holiday season. And we thank you, Miracle Brand, for sponsoring this episode. Well, Guy, congratulations. You didn't shit the bed. Uh, You don't need Miracle Brand sheets. Um, You do need them, everybody. You do need them. But uh, the book is great. The Nitro book was great. This is an excellent follow-up. And uh, I'm just curious, what did you learn about Eric through this process? Like, you've been a lifelong wrestling fan. You learned a lot about Eric through listening to the podcast. You learned a lot about Eric back in the day from writing the nitro book, but now that you've gone through this process with Eric, what were you most surprised to learn about Eric? Again, I think just the level of introspection and reflection that Eric is, you know, capable of, um, when we were talking about the right topic or perhaps, you know, if I stumbled upon asking the right question that really lends itself very well to putting together a book like this. And I want to make something clear as well. You know, my role really in, in this book was kind of shaping, you know, the the material and and working with Eric in in terms of developing what the story would be. But I, I want people to understand these are Eric's words, you know, and that, that's something again, to answer your question that I, I learned from speaking with Eric and then transcribing these interviews is, you know, he speaks in such a way that lends itself very nicely to, writing you know an autobiography right it wasn't like i had to look at this and say oh man this 
this is unintelligible. What the hell am I going to do with this? I'm going to have to completely change what it says here on the page. You know, really it was my role was more about just shaping it, editing it and trying to really the challenge was figuring out, um, you know, what can go in the book and what can't go in the book. I mean, this, this book probably could have been three times as long as it actually is. Um, but again, you know, the material has to be in service of a story. And, you know, again, I think that's what people will take away from reading grateful. Uh, one of the, kindest comments that i got about the nitro book someone wrote me an email and said you know i want to tell you something i found this book to be very meaningful and that really like kind of took me aback and i i really was was quite touched by that actually that someone found that the story was told in such a way that it really resonated with them it wasn't just a wikipedia article right it wasn't just this happened this happened this happened this happened end of book um they they really found the story to to really make an impact with them in that way, and that's why we've decided to um, categorize all of the happenings in Eric's life under this particular theme, which is the title of the book, Grateful. That's our destination. That's where the book ends. But again, don't be an, under any illusions that this is you know an entire book of self help and um, you know here's everything that you have to do to to um, think success into existence you know we sprinkle those things in throughout the book there's a there's a lot of lessons here there's a lot of things that you can take away from eric um but we are recounting all of the major things that have happened both in and outside of the wrestling business during that time but by the time you get to the end of it i would like to think that similar to that comment that i mentioned earlier you'll put down the book and say yeah this is a really meaningful book this wasn't just a, a retelling of a bunch of stuff that's happened over the last 15 years this is a book that you know I'll remember and hopefully revisit in the future. And that's really what we were shooting for with this book. Woo Wings, a virtual restaurant concept from the man himself, the nature boy, Ric Flair. Enjoy the legendary flavors and world championship wings by ordering with your Uber Eats or Postmates app. Try the only chicken wings worthy of carrying the name of the 16-time world heavyweight champion. Tell him, Nate. Legendary flavors, world championship wings. Woo! Woo wings. Yeah! Woo woo! Guys, you know, I'm glad you said that, guy, because that, that was one of the things I was a little, I was more sensitive or concerned with this book coming off, or perhaps the perception that I'm trying to come off as someone who's capable of helping other people, because I'm not. I, that's not me. My, my wife can. She's good at that shit. And I'm probably here talking to you because of that. Um, but yeah, it's not a self-help book. This is just, here's what happened to me. Here's how I got over it. Here's how I'm dealing with it. Here's how I overcame it or didn't in some cases. But it all ends in a very positive way. And and again, I'm I'm, I'm hesitating here because what I don't want people to think is when they're going to read this book, they're going, oh, wow, this is like, okay, I get it. I'm going to do this and then my life's going to be great. Um, no, man, this is just, this is what happened to me. And I am excited that I, you know, I, I keep going back to the, the podcast and when we first started doing it, that was like, there were two or three really cathartic points in, in my life over the last six years. Um, and that was one of them. Because it was such, Conrad, I don't even know if you remember this, brother. And maybe I remember it differently than you do because that's how that stuff happens, you know? Yeah. But I, I think it was on our second or third podcast. And you were trying 
to get something out of me that either I wasn't clear on what you were trying to get out of me or I was clear and I didn't want to give it to you. I don't know which one it was, but it got to the point where I could tell you were, you were hot and I was, and we got through it, but I could tell like from that point going forward, we probably spent another half hour, 45 minutes finishing up the podcast. But when we finished, I went, well, that's the last one of these I'm going to do. Not because I didn't want to do them anymore, but I could tell you were so frustrated because of, because of what I wasn't willing to do and what I wasn't willing to give you. I and remember it very well. I, uh-huh. I called you back and I said, dude, do whatever you need to do. You know, say whatever you need to say to me on the podcast, but don't kill the podcast. Don't, don't just fight through it. I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll figure it out because I wanted to do the podcast, but I, I realized when, and we were done with that conversation, you were still, I think you were in your head, you were pretty much wrapping it up, (laughs) figuring out a way to, you're looking for your exit strategy. How do I tell this idiot? I don't want to do this podcast anymore. (laughs) And, and then once we had that conversation, I still wasn't convinced that we were going to do another one. Because one of the things that, and I'm going to backtrack a second, I'm going to come back to this minute, this moment. But one of the things when you and I first started talking about doing the podcast was we both agreed, okay, let's do it. And as long as we're having fun, we'll keep doing it. The minute it's not fun anymore, we won't. Because I just don't think that a podcast or anything, no matter what it is, if you can't find a way to find joy in it and pleasure in it or satisfaction, whatever word you want to use. For me, I, it's fun. That, that word applies to a lot. Um, it's fun to work hard. It's fun for me to be passionate about something. It's fun for me to find new ways of doing something. All those things are, they all fall into the fun bucket for me. But the minute I can't find fun in any way, shape or form, then I got, it's time to move on. And when I hung up with you, fast forward again, and I thought, okay, well, maybe, maybe we'll do another one. Maybe we won't. I'm sure I'll talk to Conrad in the next day or two. Then I, then I had time to think, okay, well, what, what can I do? I, I've got to find a, cause I'm not having fun. We hit that, that, that entertainment, that conversational brick wall because I quit having fun. And so did you. So I'm thinking, okay, he, he's got to figure out his own fun thing. I got to figure out mine. How can I start having fun with this? And, and it didn't happen like it wasn't like a light bulb went off in my head or nothing like that. But it was really just thinking, why am I not having fun? Why am I reacting to him the way I'm reacting? Or why am I reacting to the question or this whatever? And it's because I was defensive. I was doing what I've always done. I learned it as a kid growing up in Detroit. I learned it in the martial arts. I learned it in the street. I learned it in Chicago as a bouncer. When you when you're starting to get your butt kicked, you know, tuck your chin, throw your hands up, protect your face, and start throwing punches. And it wasn't fun. And once I and it took me a couple of days, but once I said because I thought about it a lot. Wait a minute, I in order for this to work, I have to change the way I'm doing it. It's not up to Conrad to change the way he's doing his shit. Because he's got a successful show with Bruce Pritchard. <laughs> His shit's working really good right now. So maybe it's me. Maybe I've got to reevaluate. And that's when I 
when I reached that conclusion in my head, I went, oh, okay. I've got to change my approach to things. And, and, and that became being honest and, and being able to laugh. And when I say be honest, you know, sometimes you and I will argue and debate. And you may not agree with my position on things, and often you don't. But that's okay. Right. Um, but there's often times, and I'll just I'll eviscerate myself. I don't care. I find freedom in it now. It's like when I, when I, we're talking about something that I screwed up or I could have done so much better or I, I missed by a mile. I'm comfortable enough with it now that I can laugh at myself. And, and there is freedom in that. There is, you're just dropping baggage off. You're, you're going down the highway and you're throwing shit off the back of the truck now. And it's way more fun to drive. And that was, one of the most cathartic things that's happened to me over the last six or seven years and one of the, or five years in this case, but one of the things is like, okay, I've, I've just learned something. I'm, I'm hell. I got to reinvent myself. You, you can't do it if you don't. So reinvent the way I look at things, reinvent the way I look at the way for 30 years, people have been criticizing me uh, or, or WCW or the things that I did, whatever. But by learning to have fun with it, I've learned to have fun with other things in my life that weren't f- so much fun anymore. But that's just me. It may not work for other people, or it may, but it worked for me. It worked phenomenally well. I remember that call. Uh, I don't think it was one of the very first episodes, but it wasn't too far in. Maybe it was Bret Hart and WCW. Maybe it was Bash at the Beach 2000, but. I think it was Bret Hart because you had a real hard time with some of the stuff that I was telling you. But what was was challenging was um, I felt like you weren't giving me anything, and I felt like you were approaching, like I try to approach our podcast as conversational. I want it to sound like talk radio, and you know, here in Alabama, of course, all we hear on sports talk radio is Alabama college football talk, and up until recently. It sounded like it could have sounded like this. You have a host who says, well, Alabama's the number one team in the country. And I don't think anybody out there can beat them this year. If the co-host goes, I agree. Well, then the host says, we'll be back after these words. <laughs> well, who wants to listen to that? Like you, you gotta have. So the co-host is supposed to hear. I think Alabama is the best team in the country and nobody can beat them. And the co-host is supposed to say, I don't know, Ole Miss beat them in 14 and 15, and they were the number one team in the country. Then Nick Saban has never had a strong defensive secondary, and they've got the type of uh, defensive secondary to shut down that quarterback. And if they can get some pressure and cause some turnovers, Ole Miss could sneak a victory. And then the co the host could say, there's no way you think Ole Miss who couldn't catch their ass with both hands. Now we've created a debate in this conversation. And I felt like some of those early shows with Eric, I would give a, a long preamble of, Hey, here's what's going on in WCW. Here's the circumstance. Here's what I, as a fan thought, here's what Dave Meltzer thought. Now what really happened? And Eric would go, well, there's two questions there. I'll answer the first one first. No. The second question was maybe. And the third one is fuck <laughs> Dave Meltzer. And it was just this long <laughs> pause. And it's like, okay, what do I do? Where do I go with no, or where do I go with maybe? And so I wanted him to be verbose. Now, maybe I had him do that a little too much every now and again. Uh, cause now I'll ask him what time it is and he'll tell me how to fucking wind to watch. Uh, either way, <laughs> the point is 
we had to have that sort of come to Jesus meeting, as we say in the South. And I got clearly annoyed with one word answers. And so then I go, well, all right, then that's the end of this fucking show. Tune in next week. Y'all, I guess on 83 weeks. And then you go, what the fuck was that? (laughs) We had that conversation and we figured it out. All I needed was a little more back and forth, but I never considered until I read the book, or I guess maybe you and I've talked about this since, but you certainly open up about it in the book that you were coming from a defensive place. You felt like, well, I don't want to be the punching bag. I don't want to be the laughing stock. Hey man, I'm not trying to do that. We're trying to build an audience. We're trying to create some intrigue. And I think one of the reasons people love this podcast is when we started to have our fights and our knockdown dragouts, boy, a lot of people wanted to yell at Eric about the, the finger poke of doom. So I get to do that and, and, and people get to live vicariously And the same thing about sting and being tan and that animation and going back and forth. Not only is it fun, it really is what we believe. Now, when we hang up, Eric has now realized it's a show. We're not going to be at all. Like we can still be friends. Like I hate that the discourse on social media and a lot of times on cable news, it's uh man, if you dislike one thing about me that, or that I, if we disagree about one thing, you're out of my life forever. I, I think that's crazy talk. Like I have friends on both sides of the aisle to use a political term and I couldn't care less. And I'm able to watch a program like the Sopranos was my favorite show ever. I never once thought is James Gandolfini liberal or conservative? Because I need to know before I watch next week, it never crossed my mind. So I just don't let that stuff bother me at all. So, and I'm not saying this is a political discussion. I'm just saying I'm able to enjoy things and, and, and content and friends and relationships and social settings without necessarily thinking we have to agree about everything. And so I think it's kind of cool that Eric and I can hoot and holler, as I like to say on the show, and then come back together and, you know, still be friends and enjoy a beer. And it's okay. If we disagree about what happened with sting in 1997, we'll live. Uh, but still, I, I think that was a process and it never really clicked until we talked years later that you weren't taking it as a, I'm not trying to make the show good. You felt as if I was personally questioning your decisions and poking at you and ridiculing you or trying to undermine you. That's not it at all. We were trying to do a show, but because you had seen so much of that negative bullshit on social media, you just took it personally. And I get that. And I'm glad that now we don't take it personally and I can MF you and you can do it back and we're good. It's fine. It's fun. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. It is fun. And, and we've gotten to the point that's fun. And that's, and that's just, again, one example. And, and we detail it in grateful. There's, 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 there were other big beats, you know, we talk and again, I don't want to give it away here, but we talk about, you know, and part of it was a financial situation that I found myself in where I would have to go to personal appearances. You know, for a long time, I was like, I, I'd see friends of mine doing personal appearances. And I was like, how would you do that? I mean, and some of them didn't need to, you know, but they were still doing it. It's like, ooh, 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 why, you know? And and I was angry at myself for 
putting myself in a position where I had to do them, but there was something really special that happened in one of them that made me go, okay, I'm, I'm not looking at this the right way. I'm looking at this all wrong. And that was another one of those beats. And there, and then once it's like with you, like the podcast, once the light bulb went off and I went, okay, have fun. It's okay to have fun making fun of yourself. It's actually healthy in a way. And then I did it. I got more and more comfortable. And then the same type of thing applied when it came to doing personal appearances. And then one special moment happened. I went, okay, now I'm, now I really have to start looking at things differently. And the minute I did, the minute, and that was a light bulb moment that did happen almost instantly uh, within 48 hours. But once that happened, then I go out and do personal appearances and I had fun. Mm. They were enjoyable because I was looking at things completely differently. And again, I'm probably giving away too much here. I don't know. I've never done this kind of thing oh, before. No, but not at all. It's, 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 a, it's a collection of moments like that and like you and I had on the podcast that I am the most grateful for, really, because I can't imagine being 67 and a half years old, having spent 67 and a half years sleeping on dirty sheets and still walking around with that baggage in the back of my truck, hauling it around everywhere I go and, and being defensive the first time somebody says, hey, what's that shit you got in the back of your truck? Why are you dragging that around? I'll tell you why I'm dragging around. I'm so grateful that I've just been able to throw that shit off the back. <laughs> you know what's uh, interesting, Conrad? You know, you mentioned the success of the podcast and the journey that you guys have been on. One of the topics that came up in the interviews for this book, and Eric goes into it in the particular chapter about 83 weeks, actually, which is, is quite an intriguing thought when you sit there and consider it, is that back then, when all of this great content was being produced, right? The, the mid to late 90s, I suppose, for the purpose of this podcast, primarily, at least. It wasn't being done with the expectation that 20 years from now, mm -hmm. the intricacies of this content are going to be dissected in minute detail over the course of a two or three hour podcast. So we better make sure that we take care of every last element of this, because 20 years from now, there's going to be this guy called Conrad Thompson, and he's going to be grilling us about why we did this and why we did that. I mean, by definition, that 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 thought process wouldn't have existed, right? But the technology wasn't around at the time for something like a podcast really um, to exist. And and back then, I suppose the idea of, you know, these um, communities of, of people following a, a radio show or a podcast, as we call it today, focused on one specific topic, you know, it's not, it wasn't anywhere near as commonplace as it is today. So with that being said, one of the things that Eric brings up in that chapter, which again, I think is is quite interesting, is the opposite is true for today's performers, right? In other words, they must know, even if it's subconscious, and when I say performers, I, I actually would include in that the wrestlers, the producers, the, the bookers, the people who are responsible for bringing the content to life. There must be an awareness, even if it's deep in the recesses of their mind, that you know what, at some point in time, these shows are going to be reviewed. These shows are going to be picked apart, you know, whether it's podcasting or whatever the next iteration of media is going to be, you know, the, the technology is there, the audience is there for those discussions to happen. 
And so I kind of wonder what the effect of that actually is, because I, I think it must be from a creative standpoint, much more freeing to just be in the moment and just to, you know, produce what you're doing, not purely for the moment, but not to be overly concerned with how it's going to be looked at, you know, 15 or 20 years from now, you know, whenever you take something out of context like that, which I think is so commonplace today, you know, for a variety of reasons, uh, and I hate this word, but I can't think of any other word right now, you know, that's problematic. That's, that's an issue, right. Um, to, to take something out of its context and to say, well, actually, you know, they didn't know this back then, but what, what they were doing here actually meant this, or this represents that, um, or, you know, that booking decision didn't make any sense. And 20 years after the fact, we're going to tell you why, um, you know, I wonder what the, the impact of that is on the people who are in the industry today. And it's going to be really interesting as Eric talks about in the chapter as well, to see whether there'll be the same interest 15, 20 years from now in those discussions about today's product as compared to the Monday Night Wars era, because I know this is something you guys have talked about and I marvel at it myself, just the enduring interest in that time period. It just seems like people can't get enough of discussions about it. They can't get enough of hearing from people who are involved in it. And so I, I wonder what the future is going to look like, um, but I'm sure you'll be heavily involved either way, Conrad, so we can look forward to that. You know what, if I, if I may jump in on that one, Conrad, I, that's a really interesting observation. <clears throat> I'm guessing because I'm not in that position right now uh, or, or will be ever again, but I don't think today's performers or producers, anybody responsible for the content are wondering what's, how, how is this going to be analyzed 20 years from now? I think they're wondering how it's going to be analyzed tomorrow morning on the ratings. True. Very good point. Yeah. Or, or, or in social media and mm -hmm. because social media is so toxic and the only way you get attention in social media is by being more toxic than the last toxic message that you're responding to. Um, I can't imagine that deep down inside, even the most experienced, hardened, callous professionals who've been doing it for a long time. <clears throat> aren't wondering what the response is going to be tomorrow. Mm -hmm. That's a, that's I, a really I wouldn't want to be in that position because you can't, you can't take, you can, but your willingness and comfort levels to take big risks become greatly influenced because nobody wants to be crucified the next morning. I wouldn't can't imagine it. And I think that probably inhibits a lot of creativity because you're second guessing. I just don't know how you create when you're constantly second guessing. I think it's okay to look at the past for inspiration, for motivation, maybe even for a template because it's okay to use somebody else's idea and figure out a way to modify it and bring it to make it feel like a fresh idea. Yeah. Somebody told me once there's only seven basic stories that have ever been told. And I kind of believe that's probably true based on a lot of the things I see in, in all kinds of media. But man, if you're not willing or comfortable to take risks, I don't know how you can reach the mountaintop creatively. I really don't. Yeah, that in itself, if I if I could just add to that, is a really interesting observation. I think you've taken that, you know, three steps further there, um, and and I think that's a, it's a very valid point, right? That sort of insular feedback loop, which, again, as an outsider just observing this business, having never worked in it, it's my observation or my you know, contention, I suppose that, you know, wrestling is, is kind of in that it's kind of in a bubble 
you know, for lack of a better word, there is kind of this insular feedback loop where, you know, the content is being produced, that content is then shared on social media, it gets a reaction, the subsequent week's programming often seems to be influenced by that particular reaction. Um, and so absolutely, that that must be, it must be very difficult to produce something, um, you know, under those circumstances, because you're never going to please everyone, you you could, you know, you could put on a, a storyline, which propels your company to unforeseen heights. But if it, there's a segment of the audience that doesn't like it and happens to be quite vocal, um, you know, there's, there surely has to be a temptation to respond to that. So it must be very, very difficult. Yeah, I, I think that I, I am guessing, again, I don't talk to anybody about this kind of thing, but I'm, I can put myself in those shoes and as hardened and calloused as I have become over the last 30 or 35 years, having been on the receiving end of that kind of thing, um, I probably would find myself, I think I'm going to coin a phrase here, pre-acting, anticipating mm. social media, and then reacting to it the next day or two days or three days. And I just don't think you can be really great creating if you're reactive. Just don't. Got to be proactive and, and be willing to take the crap that comes with it. Look at Elon Musk. Oh, here we go. Here we go. I'm not political. Not. But holy smokes, if we needed an example, this guy's landing rocket ships on using them over. He's doing amazing things. But man, he's doing he's he's trying something, you know, with social media. And now he's being vilified as a result of it. I don't, I don't know. I wouldn't want to be him. Well, yeah, maybe I would. but what what i like is it feels like the book grateful is really about the evolution of bischoff your willingness to change would you agree with that eric yes yeah so if we all agree that it's mostly about change well if it's like now's a good time to remind everybody that a lot of adults choose to use nicotine but there's a right way and a wrong way to do it Now, not everyone uses nicotine, but if you do, you want to listen up. Yeah, get ready. This is an ad for Lucy Breakers. And if you're one of the millions of adults who use nicotine, you know that not all products are the same. And there's one new product that stands above the rest. Lucy Breakers are the only nicotine pouch that gives you a blast of flavor from the first moment to the last. Each pouch contains a capsule that you break open to release a rush of flavor that doesn't fade away like those other pouches. You know, they're ones that rhyme with thin and they come in so many flavors, mint, berry, citrus, mango, even espresso. You don't have to go to the gas station or corner store to get them. Just order online and they'll be shipped right to your door. Every order gets free shipping. Plus, if you subscribe, you'll save 15% off and never run out. So whether you're using nicotine while working, creating, or playing, Lucy Breakers is the intelligent choice. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Get $10 off your first order when you use our promo code 83 weeks at checkout. By the way, shipping is always free. That's lucy.co. The promo code is 83 weeks to receive $10 off and free shipping. Visit lucy.co for more details. And we thank Lucy for sponsoring the podcast. All right, here comes the fine print. Lucy products are only for adults of legal age and every order is age verified. This product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. One more time, that's lucy.co. The promo code is 83 weeks. You'll receive $10 off and free shipping. 
Uh, and listen, I, I, I'm enjoying our conversation about Grateful and the and the great brand new book that you can order right now over on Amazon. If you do it on Kindle, you get it immediately. I'm talking immediately. Uh, they got a paperback version. They got a hardcover version. And these make awesome things to get autographed if you meet Eric at an appearance uh, like the one uh, he just had this past weekend at WrestleCade. Tons of five-star reviews over there already. I think we mentioned as we're speaking, it's the number one release. Uh, but these five-star reviews, man, they're incredible. Could not put this down. Five stars. Having thoroughly enjoyed Eric's first book, Controversy Creates Cash and Guy Evans Nitro. I was really excited about this release and it did not disappoint. I really enjoyed Eric's perspective and insights on stories and encounters up to this point until it's only been teased. And in other cases, these stories haven't been shared in public forums, either his podcast or in other media, insightful, brutally honest, and at points laugh out loud funny. I bought this book knowing he would cover his return to the WWE in the TNA days, but equally enjoyed reading about his struggles, how he overcame them with the help of Mrs. B and the challenges he faced in his many ventures outside of wrestling. There's a lot to love about this book. And the only criticism I can levy is it came to an end. So great review. I love that he sort of lays it all out and he mentions maybe the unsung hero of the entire Bischoff household and family unit. Mrs. B how great was it to, uh, to learn about the backbone of the family guy? Yeah, that was one of the, the, the best things about doing this book is having the opportunity to not only obviously connect with Eric, but also his family members. And that brings me on to something I don't think we've mentioned yet, which again, I think sets this book apart, which is, um, the ability for readers to actually access interviews with many of the people that eric mentions in the book and i know eric has has touched on this before in 83 weeks but um at the end of every chapter there's a qr code that can be scanned and will actually take you to and conrad you know this because you know you were kind enough to give me some time for an interview for this purpose as well uh you scan that qr code and it takes you to a bonus interview featuring someone that eric mentions in in this chapter so um mrs b was actually you know someone who um who was interviewed, you know, for that very reason, I had the chance to speak to, to Garrett and, and Montana had to speak, had the chance to speak with, uh, many other people who have worked, um, with Eric over the years. In fact, just a few days ago, because we're currently in the process of wrapping up this bonus content, uh, Lex Luger came on and did an amazing interview, you know, talking about how much it meant to him to reconnect with Eric in recent years and specifically, um, what a particular interview, that he did with Eric uh, meant to him several years ago, which of course Eric talks about in the book. Um, so I think that really enhances, uh, you know, people's in enjoyment in the story as well. You know, you, if you want, you can read the whole thing through and then go back and check out all the bonus interviews. I'm, I'm sure some people probably one chapter at a time, you know, like to hear from, from those people as well. But, um, but absolutely, as I said to, to Lori, when I spoke to her, um, you know, it was, it was great to have the chance to have her input and, you know, um, you know, she shared some things in, in that interview as well that I think, uh, you know, people who are in a marriage in any kind of relationship can learn from. And, um, again, it really, really enhances the overall impact of the book. You know, what's interesting guy is, and Conrad, cause Conrad, you, you've known Lori now quite a bit. We've been to, to your home to visit and we vacation together. And so, you know, her pretty well, but you know, she's a, she's a cute little thing, you know, she maybe. 98 pounds with rocks in her pockets, tiny little thing, and pretty cute, pretty cute, all that. What you don't really 
see is how tough she is. She's tough. I've always thought I was mentally pretty tough and physically pretty tough. My son certainly is. My daughter is. But Miss Lori, my wife, is one of the toughest people I know mentally and emotionally. She's amazing. And, uh, yeah, just want to make sure I got that in there. Shout out to Mrs. B talking shift. One of my favorite podcasts that I've got downloaded to my phone. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the TNA stuff, you know, guy, you've, um, you, you dove knee deep into the WCW stuff and you knew when you were going to talk about Eric Bischoff and what he's been up to since controversy creates cash, you got to at least touch on TNA. Uh, did you get what you were hoping for or expecting there? Or what were you shocked to learn about Eric's TNA experience? Absolutely. I, I think the TNA years cover probably over a third of this book. So, you know, it's something that we go into in great detail. You know, Eric talks about the circumstances that led to him and Hulk's arrival in TNA, you know, going to uh, Monday nights, why that didn't work out, everything that happened subsequently with the company, including his exit. Um, you know, he talks uh, about creatively some of the the methods and techniques that he was able to employ in developing the Aces and Eights storyline and, and things of that nature, which I think are some of the highlights of the book. Um, so, you know, I could tell once we started talking about TNA that this probably wasn't the, you know, the, uh, the subject that Eric was most enthusiastic to talk about, which I can certainly, you know, understand because, you know, there has been a lot of conjecture and negativity and other things written about that. Um, so, you know, it's not something that we started the interview process with. Um, I think the first few interviews, we mainly talked about um, his time back at WWE because, you know, we, we started doing interviews for this in 2021. So we were only a couple of years removed from that. Um, and, you know, we we covered that pretty early. But when it came time to talk about TNA, um, you know, I think how we got into it was talking about Garrett. And I knew that, that Eric was, um, you know, very willing to, to open up about that and talk about what it meant to work with his son and conversely what it meant for Garrett to work on camera with his father as well. Um, there's a chapter in the book called Second Generation, which which goes into all of that and talks about, you know, Eric laying out to Garrett what some of the the pitfalls may be if he decided to pursue a career in the wrestling business and how it came to be that he ended up in TNA and transitioning from a referee to a wrestler and working with, you know, some of the biggest names in the history of the business. So um, that, that was a particular highlight, again, of the book. Um, so, you know, we covered it all. Uh, Eric really pulled no punches. You know, again, there was nothing that, he said that two or three weeks later, oh, guy, we're going to have to take that out. Let me rephrase that. Let me let, let me cut all of that out. That's not how I really feel. You know, he was, to go back to that review that you read uh, just a moment ago, he was brutally honest, um, both in putting up his hand at times and saying, yeah, I could have done this better or could have done that better, but also pointing out, you know, from his vantage point, um, some of the things that TNA, you know, this is probably an understatement, could have done you know, a little bit better during his time associated with the company. So again, if, if you're looking for the wrestling stuff and you want all that covered in great detail, you're going to find that in grateful as well. Yeah, to, love- put a, to put a, to put a button on it. I'm sorry, Conrad. You know, it's, even when I said, you know, a little while ago in this podcast, I said, you know, I'm still in this process. I'm still learning. I'm still on this journey. And even after the book, you know, going through the process of writing the book. Once we were all done with that chapter, 
I realized again, once again, that I have to change the way I look at that period of time because that was, you know, I have been very defensive about the whole TNA conversation. I've never really enjoyed talking about it, even on the podcast, you know, because in, in my mind, you know, whether it's fiction that I've created or not, um, in my mind, it's like, man, I'm getting, I'm getting the shit kicked out of me over decisions I had nothing to do with. I didn't run that company. I didn't hire anybody. I didn't fire anybody. I wasn't in control of anything. I was a consultant for crying out loud. Now I have a fairly strong personality and sometimes even just being in the room, people can be convinced that I'm the, I'm the one signing the checks when I'm not, but I was grateful for that experience. And, and mostly because of the opportunity to work with my son, Garrett, which because of that experience in TNA, Garrett and I were able to work an independent show down in South Georgia a couple of weeks ago for Luke Gallows. And we had a blast doing it. And we get to still go in there and put our toe in the water. That probably wouldn't have happened without TNA. Again, you know, I just something that it's an ongoing process. I think it's, you know, I've never been in drug or alcohol treatment, but I've, have plenty of friends who have, and I think it's something you got to do with every single day. You know, if you're going to, if for me, if I'm going to be in a, to try to remain in a state of gratitude, because I believe in that I'm not always good at it, but I try to be, but you have to, I have to, I have to look at every situation and go, yeah, it's kind of crappy, but there's something good in there. If I look hard enough. And TNA is an example. God, what do you think people will be talking about the most when they close this book? Obviously we're going to learn about Eric's personal journey, but we're also going to hear some stories we've never heard before. Yeah. I don't, I don't want you to give the spoiler, but I do want you to sort of tease. What do you think the, the thing that's going to have everybody chatting about will be from this book? I think some people have pointed this out already, noticing some of the chatter, as you mentioned, you know, on, on social media and otherwise, um, some of Eric's insights about Vince McMahon and working with him and what that relationship was like circa 2019 was really fascinating. And he presents, I think, a very nuanced picture of what it was like to work with Vince. And the same could probably be said for his interactions with Dixie Carter as well. And you asked me earlier, what did I learn about Eric from working with him? I think his ability to be very thoughtful, uh, very, you know, balanced, very um, fair in terms of how he looks at the strengths and weaknesses of various people that he's interacted with over the years. And the same was definitely true when it came to, to Vince as well. So in the last few chapters, you know, Eric talks about uh, getting that call to come back to WWE in 2019 and, you know, what his expectations were and what was laid out to him um, in that new role of executive director and then what it actually amounted to once, you know, he was in the room with with Vince McMahon and, and, and other people and the end of that relationship. Um, you know, we actually had time to include Eric's thoughts about Vince retiring, you know, in the book, um, you know, which, which obviously happened very recently, which makes for quite interesting reading as well. So I think Eric's take on, on Vince, I, I think there's also a, a wonderful chapter where Eric really goes into, again, a level of detail that I don't think has been done before about his relationship with Hulk Hogan. Um, and, you know, talking about the journey that, you know, he himself, Terry Belayer, has has been on also, um, and how that sort of intersected with some of the 
um, realizations that that Eric has come to over the years. And I know in the feedback that I've got so far, those are probably the two things that have really jumped out to me. People have said, "Why, you know?" In fact, Lex Luger is a perfect example. I sent him the the chapter on on uh, Eric's relationship with Hulk, and he came back and said, I, "I had no idea it was that it was that deep." You know, I had no idea that when Hulk was was going through all of those trials and tribulations that Eric went and, and lived with him essentially and spent a lot of time with him and helped him get through that time. Um, and so, you know, learning about that, I think is fascinating. And again, the, the stuff that relates to, to WWE and Vince McMahon, um, you know, those, those are the, the elements of the book, which I think will really get people talking for sure. Yeah. Can I ask you, cause I, I think we're going to probably wrap this up here shortly. Um, mm -hmm. What's next, man? You're going to write another wrestling book. That's what I wanted to know. You know, you got nitro <laughs> under your belt. You got a Bischoff book under your belt. Are you enjoying being a wrestling author? Do you want to write about something else? Is, is this the second of more to come? What's next? You know what I want to write is the Conrad Thompson story. That's what oh, I want to write. So I'm, I'm putting it, I'm putting out publicly right now. You better not come to anyone else when it's time to tell that story. Um, I mean, honestly, it's, it's, it's flattering that you'd even ask that, that question, Eric. Um, you know, as I know we're, we're wrapping up here, so this will give me the opportunity to say, you know, again, you know, the, the nitro book is really going to be my, my one attempt to contribute something, I suppose, to, to the world of wrestling. And, and little did I know what it was going to turn into and to have the opportunity to work with you, Eric was, was a real privilege. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful, <laughs> uh, to, to both you and Conrad, you know, for everything you've done and, putting the word out about the nitro book and then you know also having this this opportunity today so you know i don't know i, I really don't know what the the future will hold um i think it's gonna be hard to live up to quite honestly because i i love this this grateful book you know i've expressed that to you on on many occasions eric i think this is a a fantastic story i think it's a, a very unique story um a, a lot of that probably most of that is because of your willingness to to be open and honest about your successes, but also your failures over this, this 15 year time span as well. So whatever it is that comes next, it's, it's going to be a tall order, quite honestly, to, to approach this one. It's grateful as a book that, that I'm very proud that I was able to contribute to and have involvement in. And, you know, I just want to, want to thank you for that. Well, it means the world to me, man. It's been, a, it's been a blessing. Thank you. Any final words about grateful, the brand new book over at Amazon. that has been so well re reviewed, Eric, who would you recommend this book for? And, uh, you know, any final words for our listeners who maybe you're trying to think of, is this the right stocking stuffer for the wrestling friend in my life? I don't know. I just had a conversation with someone, um, this morning that is struggling with a situation, financial situation. And I hope they get the book. And, and again, it's not to teach them anything. It's just another perspective on things. And if you can lift something out of it if you could only lift one thing out of it just remind yourself to look for the opportunity and look for the gratitude in the most challenging situations now that by itself is the only thing that you take out of this book and there's a lot of that in there um then i'd be really really happy about that because that's that, that that's what the book is and it's learning how to reevaluate reinvent and do it by recognizing that you've got to be grateful for the things you do have and not stress out so much over the things you don't. Well said, and uh, I really appreciate you taking the time today to come on and chop it up with this guy. I know this isn't something we normally do, but it's not every day that, uh, 
one of our one of our pals, one of our co-hosts, one of our brothers writes a book. And with your help, I think you guys have put together something really special with this book. You can order it right now, get it just in time for the holidays. It makes an excellent Christmas present as well. And uh, you never know when you might see Eric. So I recommend, even if you get the Kindle version, which is what I got, I ordered the hardcover too, because uh, I need mine autographed. I want it on a shelf. It's just a cool collectible to have. So maybe don't just buy it once, buy it, buy it twice. Once to enjoy just anywhere as you travel and then another to just stick on a shelf autographed. It's a cool thing to have, especially if you are a fan of this podcast or WCW or TNA or just life, man. I think you guys did more than just a wrestling book. This is a life book. And I appreciate you taking time out of your day, especially with the time difference and all that to jump on with us today, guy. Well, I'm in Florida, Conrad, so I'm not that far away. You know, don't let the accent fool you. Well, but I'm just saying, he, he, I, think you're, I think you're Eastern time and Eric is mountain time well, that's true. And, and I'm central time. So we got, and then we got Steve Kaufman, our producer on the West coast. I think we have all of the time zones represented today. Awesome. Sometimes getting everybody together is a little bit like who's on first. Uh, Absolutely. so it was really cool to have everybody East coast, West coast, wherever the hell I am, wherever the hell Eric is. And we know where you'll be next Monday. And each and every Monday, Larry Zabisco is our topic next week. Eric, I can't wait for you to have a little fun talking about Eric Bischoff and, and Larry Zabisco from the good old days of Nitro. Oh, Nitro and AWA. I had a lot of great memories. I, I, I Fun memories of Larry Zabisco. It's going to be a fun show. And it all happens next week right here on 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together... It's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.